Hey, what up, y'all? It's your girl, Vivica Fox, and welcome to an all-new Hustling with Vivica A. Fox. We are going bigger and bolder, y'all. I am your go-to girl for people, ideas, knowledge, inspiration, faith, love, truth, success, and of course, F-U-N, fun. <laughs> your hustle is going to get an upgrade with the most surprising, exciting, and fabulous guests from all walks of life, darlings. You have come to the right place today. And don't forget to subscribe, download to Hustling with Vivica A. Fox. Okay, darling, I need y'all to get on in here today because today it's going to be all about improving your business sense. How to make that cheddar, baby, okay? Now listen, how many times have you shared an idea with someone and they come back to you and said, oh, please, oh, that will never work. How many people have trampled on your dreams and then five years down the road, you see someone else implemented your idea and is now making them millions? It happens. It does. Well, today I'm speaking with a veteran Silicon Valley entrepreneur, advisor, investor, speaker, and best-selling author. His name is Mark Randolph. He's known best as the co-founder and the first CEO of Netflix. Mark's career as an entrepreneur spans more than four decades, y'all. He's been doing this for a long time, okay? And he's here and he's going to tell us all about his amazing journey and enlighten and inspire us. Hey, Mark, welcome to Hustling with Vivica A. Fox. Well, Vivica, it is such a pleasure to be with you. I've really oh. been looking forward to this. I'm glad oh. that we're here. Well, tell me, why have you been looking forward to talk to me? Oh, because your your energy is legendary. I mean, uh, you know, listen, I could sit and it's drone on, but listen, getting a chance to do this kind of high energy show, I, that, that I look forward to. I love that. That makes me so happy to hear that because, you know, I have been in show business now for over three decades myself, and it's been an amazing journey for me. It really has. And I'm so blessed that in my life, I've had people that helped me get my business sense completely together, which has turned me into not only an actress, a producer, now a director, an author, a philanthropist, and just a overround, you know, homegirl that is making it do what it do. Because normally in our business, in show business, when women enter into their 50s, they're ready to just put you on out to pasture. They don't think you got any more to offer. Whereas I'm now having like this amazing resurgence. So for me to meet someone who's been doing, um, going to different chapters of their career successfully for four decades, you know, this is what it's about. Because we got to let these children know. Because now, to me, everyone wants to swipe to success. And it's not about that, correct, Mark? Oh, absolutely not. You know, in fact, absolutely sometimes you not. begin to, you, you have this thing in your head about what success even means. Mm. And then of course you get there and you go, wait, that's not exactly what I wanted. So <laughs> it, it's one of the really surprising things, isn't it? It really is. On Oops! The Podcast, join me, comedian Julio Gallerati, as I examine everyday life, the mistakes, the bad decisions, the goals, the jokes, the social engagements, and all things in between. I'm joined every week by producer and personal confidant, Ryan Lynch, various other comedians for witty, candid, and intoxicating conversation. Our listeners love Oops! for sophisticated banter, aka your mom could listen, and many feel like they're in the room with us chopping it up with old pals. You can find every episode of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. So let's talk about you. Let's talk about the start of your journey. Where are you from? 
Well, I grew up in uh, I grew up in uh, outside of New York City. I mean, I grew up okay. in a little place about forty miles where everyone in the city considered that's upstate, that's the country. But everyone up in upstate considered me down in the city. So I was in a I was a neither nor kid. Ah. Yeah. So now, how did your journey begin of you becoming this successful entrepreneur? Well, the, the, the first thing, the journey to being successful was never a journey to be successful. It's like, I, that was never the reason I kind of did it. I was more compelled to do it. You know, listen, you, know, you mentioned before, everyone wants to swipe and done, but for this mm -hmm. whole entrepreneurship thing is even worse. You know, now everyone watches movies about being an entrepreneur and they read books about it and they watch Shark Tank and they have this, in my opinion, completely unrealistic idea of what this means. And more importantly, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Everyone kind of wants to be rich or wants to be famous. Mm. But you know, 40 years ago when I started, there there was, I mean, there was entrepreneurs, but they there was no one talked about it and there was no TV shows and there was no college courses. They were just a bunch of people like myself who, you know, just saw things that needed to be made and made them. Was there something in your childhood that helped to um, steer you in this direction of being an entrepreneur? No. Well, yes and no. I mean, one part of it, of course, is that from an early age, I was someone who was always challenged by trying to do things a little differently. I mean, I'll give you an hmm. example. Like way back when, I must have been eight years old, I had this summer job where I, w I was selling seeds, like, you know, that seeds. Plant, like flower <laughs> seeds or vegetable <laughs> no. seeds. I swear to God, I was, I was selling them. In those them. little packets? That's the one. I remember those. I was selling it door to door. Uh, and it was, it was this thing called, it, it was in the, they'd advertise in the back of magazines. And they go, you know, sell 7,000 packets and you win a whistle or a, something. <laughs> it, was, it was completely exploitive. But for me, you know, it, what it really meant was you had to go up to doors. You had to knock on the door. Yeah. And then someone came to the door and nine times out of 10, they'd slam it in your face or essentially yeah. send you away. And I know a lot of kids when that happened to went back to the couch and watched reruns of Leave it to Beaver or whatever was on TV then. <laughs> and I went, I'm going to figure out a way to get people to open the door for me. And then once I did, I'm going, I'm going to convince them to buy something. And then when that happened, I'm going to convince them to buy more than one. Like I saw So you it had steps at, to- yes. Yes. I saw it as this problem to be solved, as a way to try to try different things. So this is not something that I was taught. This is not something that I said, oh, this would be a good step if you eventually want to start a huge multimedia streaming. No, it's just how I was wired. And that had never stopped. Like, you know, in high school, I was starting clubs and putting on plays and launching magazines. And in college, I was doing things like that. It just was this drive to see the world as slightly imperfect or as a whole that I could fill the hole. And I am incredibly lucky that that skill or that passion ended up being something you could make a living at because otherwise I would be totally chronically unemployable uh, because the things that make you successful as that make you terrible at holding down jobs which require predictable, do the same thing every time. So Mark, I, you've never been a nine to five guy. Uh, no, I've never been a nine to five guy. Me either. I mean, I've worked for big comp <laughs> I've worked for big companies. What's a, what a blessing, isn't, isn't that? I mean- uh, Can but, I tell you, I worked at a bank 
for three weeks. And <laughs> I could predict exactly what we, I was down in the department of like checks and receivings and balancing it out and sending out statements. And I could predict, Mark, what I was going to do every day. It was like clockwork. And I remember looking at an older woman um, that was there and she had a thing down with her cigarettes and her coffee. <laughs> and I remember turning and looking at her one day and going, that's not going to be my life. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird, it's, I mean, it's a weird thing sometimes it, I mean, listen, all power to people. Some people find what they want and they find some mm -hmm. people want that predictability and that security. But I had a really good friend and we compared notes like a few years after college. And he goes, he was working for a big company, like an IBM or a Xerox or something like that. And he goes, oh yeah, I'm gonna spend two years here. And then I get transferred to headquarters for a year and a half. And then I, he could see his whole career mapped out. Wow. And I didn't know what I'd be doing in three weeks, but <laughs> I, I love that. Mark, can I tell you in three weeks, I quit that job. I remember yeah. <laughs> calling my mama on the phone and I was like, mom, I just, this is not me. I want more out of my life. And my mama was like, Angie, that's my nickname. She yeah. said, you, that's a good job. That job going to get you security. And <laughs> it just wasn't what I wanted because I just saw my life having more adventure than that. And evidently you did too. Yeah. And I think millions of young people uh, have that conflict between what seems to be safe and predictable mm -hmm. and what they really have this passion for wanting to try. And in right. so many ways, this is jumping way ahead. Part of my mission now is to unlock that in people. I mean, that's the whole reason for the book. It's the whole reason for the podcast. But and here's a, a quick anecdote about your okay. banking job. So my, my brother, big investment banker, works for a big bank in New York. And he, his, he goes and recruits at the college he went to, trying to get people to work for the bank who are graduating from that college. Well, two of my kids went to the same college. And so I would go to this place, this college, to work with the entrepreneurial students there. And what I kind of realized was that in many ways, my brother and I were fighting for kids' souls. Like he was trying to lure them to come down to Wall Street, get a job as an investment banker. And I was going, no, no, move to San Francisco, live six to an apartment and eat ramen. You know, he was, a, he was armed a little bit better in that battle than I was. But I was fighting against people like, you know, like parents everywhere who want, they want what's Security. best for their kid. And they yes. go, you yeah, wouldn't it be great if you're an investment banker? And the kid's going, I kind of want to be an entrepreneur. And they go, yeah. oh, that's crazy. You'll starve. You should be a doctor or a lawyer. I know. And you know, and see, here's the thing is that our world has just changed so much that tr the traditional paths that people used to take for security, get married, the kid, you know, that traditional path has changed so much. So I want to talk about your path because I want to talk <laughs> about the podcast. I want to talk about the books. We're going to get to all of that. But let's start about your story starting Netflix. It's legendary, dude. Like <laughs> legendary. Okay. How did your vision of the company survive the struggles of starting a business? You know what I mean? Because most people like, I mean, Netflix is like blew up and then we don't talk about then you let it blow up and then change the channel. So, okay. So <laughs> let's talk about you starting Netflix. Well, the first thing you have to know is that this is not like back at that time. This is back in 1996, 97. So this is quite a while ago. This is not like I was Gosh. a movie guy. 96 is, is a while ago, Mark. I mean, 
Well, okay. Well, okay. yeah, it's true. Time I flies, know. huh? It is. I mean, but that just blows me away. 96 is a while back. Uh, oh, yeah. wait. Move on. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll fast forward some later. Okay. But, you know, it, the thing is that the, at that time, it, it, I, it was not like I was a movie buff. This is not like I was the guy to come to to tell you who was going to win the Academy Award for cinematography or something like that. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> you know, seriously. I had three yes. young. I had three young kids, so my movie taste was like watching Disney. I, you know, I must have seen Aladdin 150 times. Yeah. So that was me and movies. So Netflix was. I had different passions for that. I was pitching. I, I, I had a co-founder, a guy named Reed Hastings, and this all started because both of us were going to be out of a job, and I knew I was going to start another company, and I was pitching ideas to him. And these were not all movie ideas. And like, for example, one of the ideas I pitched him was custom shampoo that you cut off a lock of your hair, you mail it to us, we formulate a blend just for you and you subscribe to it. And that got shot down. I also pitched him custom dog food where we formulate okay. a blend just for your pet. So these were the types of things that I was pitching. But the common denominator was not movies. The common denominator was I wanted to do an e-commerce startup. I wanted to sell something on the internet. And mm -hmm. so eventually one of the ideas I pitched was video rental by mail. That we were gonna take that experience of video rental, what Blockbuster did, and put it on the internet. But not put it on the internet with streaming like it is now, but come to the internet, you pick a movie, and we were gonna mail it to you. And, that and what was, was the response? The oh, everybody. You mentioned at the beginning of the show, everyone said that will never work. My, the investors <gasps> I went to, the, the, the business partners, the employees, and I hate to break it to you, my wife even said, that Ooh. is the craziest thing I've ever heard. But, you know, part of our job is to have this self-confidence that, no, yes. I, think, I think I can it's figure, out, figure yeah. out a way to make this work. Uh, and so we plunged in, but you know, there was this moment when I researched that video rental by mail idea and mm -hmm. realized in many ways, people, it wasn't going to work because back then, 96, 97, you may remember this video came on VHS cassettes, those big and heavy. Yep. Mm -hmm, big old thing. Yeah. It was and like that wasn't going to work. Track. The eight track of yeah you know, exactly eight of track cassettes. of videos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but the breakthrough was Reed one day, and we were commuting to work together, and he told me about this new thing he had discovered or heard about called a DVD, this little okay. silver disc. DVD. And DVD, and okay. that gave us an idea that maybe we could use this as the way to make video rental by mail work. And then ah. turned the car around mid-commute right then and there and drove back into town to see if, in fact, you could actually mail a DVD to somebody and went into town to try and buy a DVD and, of course, couldn't find one. They were in <gasps> test market back then. So settled for buying a music CD. Okay. And then went a few doors down and bought a little pink envelope, like you put a greeting card in, put the CD in the envelope, and we mailed it to Reed's house. And the very next morning, when he came to pick me up to go to work, he had just held up a little envelope with an unbroken he says, CD. Here it is. And uh, you know, listen, you've been in the movie business. That that there's this thing in script writing called the inciting event, that mm. moment where you go, "Here is why I'm going to do something." And in many ways, 
seeing this unbroken CD that had gotten to his house in a day for the price of a stamp was the moment we said, you know, this this just might work. This can work. This okay, can work. so now be amongst yourself, you're like, okay, we're on to something. Now you've got to go sell it to investors or someone bigger so that you can run it to the big bucks. You went to Blockbuster, right? <laughs> well, that came about two and a half years in when oh. things, when this idea that no one uh, said would work, all of a sudden, two years later, we figured out how to make it work. And okay. uh, Wow, two it, years? Yeah, there's a lesson in there because the, originally, wow. you know, listen, we, we, we bought the site, we launched, this is, we launched in 1998. Mm -hmm. And what a surprise, the idea that everyone said will never work, it didn't work. It was a terrible idea. And we spent a year and a half, two years trying to figure out some way to make it work. And all of a sudden we did discover a way to do it. It was a crazy, totally unintuitive thing where there'd be no due dates, there'd be no late fees. You could keep a movie as long as you wanted. And when you're done, you'd mail it back, we'd replace it. There'd be a subscription. It was confusing, <laughs> but lo and behold, it worked and it took off. But this is getting a little geeky, so pardon me. But when you do a subscription, <laughs> you, 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 you're, you, you know, know, you're a I smart like audience. Geek, geek, yeah. Most geeks are rich. Let's just put it that yeah. way, okay? <laughs> it's a weird thing to understand. <laughs> so anyway, the, 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 pro the problem with subscriptions is on one hand, it's great because once someone subscribes to something, they pay you a little bit of money every month for hopefully right, years. Right. The downside is that you pay up front all the money to acquire that customer. And mm. we had a first month free, so it was very expensive. So all of a sudden, when this thing took off, it was on one hand, yahoo, we've got it, it's working. On the other hand, money is flooding out the door. And so we're in some ways going broke being successful. And when that happens, we go, oh my gosh, we are screwed. Especially since right then, which is about the year 2000, the dot-com bubble bursts. It is mm. impossible to raise money and it looks like my whole dream is done, that we're gonna go out of business. And, and you probably invested all of your money, this and the third, and your wife is going, hey buddy, what's yeah. happening? These got to be paid. You gotta figure this out. Right. And so there's this uh, this euphemism they use uh, everywhere businesses where they go, we need to seek strategic alternatives, which, <laughs> <laughs> which is basically code for, we have to sell the company and fast. Oh, wow. And so the obvious person for us to sell it to was Blockbuster. Okay. But the problem is back then we were tiny. We were probably, mm. you know, $5 million a year uh, in revenue. And Blockbuster was $6 billion. Eight. Yeah, they you know, were we had everywhere. A, yeah, we had a hundred employees. They had 9,000 stores. They had 60,000 employees. So wow. it was this complete mismatch. Mm. Uh, but- it's okay, we finally got a meeting. We flew to Dallas. We went up in this huge skyscraper to this cavernous conference room and we pitched that Blockbuster should buy us. That we should combine the forces, they'd run the stores, we'd run an online business, we'd find the synergies between the two and we'd all win. And it, it was a great meeting because they were nodding and they were asking good questions until they asked how much, how much should we pay for you? And I remember uh, Reed, we'd practiced this obviously. And so Reed had done this calculation that we had raised about $50 million so far. And he goes, at least we, if we sell it for that, at least we can pay everyone back. And so he said, okay, $50 million. 
Mm. Yeah, that was that's exactly what they <laughs> said. <laughs> the hmm. whole room did that too. Hmm. The whole room did that too. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's that's a big number. Yeah, especially for a company which was going broke right at the trough of the dot-com meltdown. So mm. it, it didn't go very well after that. And uh, the meeting went downhill and we slunk out of there with this horrible realization that now not only was Blockbuster not going to save us, but now we were going to have to compete with them. And that Ooh. there was this realization that there was no easy way out here, that there was no trick, no secret passageway uh, that... As my, my dad actually something to say, you know, Mark, sometimes the only way out is through. And that, oh, I know that's right. I like your dad. This was one of those cases where if we were going to solve this problem, we'd have to rely on ourselves and, uh, and solve the problem. And so what did you guys do? We did a lot of painful things. I mean, first of all, we said, we're not going to raise any more money, that we have to get to profitability on the money that we have. And what that meant, unfortunately, was a big layoff. We laid off almost forty percent of the uh, of the company, <gasps> oh. and and that people that is, had been there since the beginning. Yeah, you know that. You know that feeling. Yeah, and yeah. not just yeah. from the but beginning. You, but you, you had to cut some fat off, as they say sometimes. When you're yeah. not seeing profit, that sometimes you got to cut the fat. You know, yeah, it's not just it's, it's not even the longevity of these people. These are all people who had believed uh, in us and who had worked mm. tirelessly and had come in and done everything I'd asked of them. And all of a sudden you have to go to them and say, you know, I'm afraid you can't be along for this next part of the journey. And it is, wow. as, a, as an entrepreneur, it is the hardest, hardest it thing is. to ever do. Yeah. But you know, it's necessary. And you begin whittling down what you're working on. You, you narrow down, you abandon pet projects. You say, we're gonna pick the handful of things that are the essentials and do nothing but that. And uh, and Netflix made it through. And in many ways, that discipline of having to figure out how to do things that we could charge enough for to pay for what it costs to deliver those services, you know, was what saved us. And eventually got to profitability, eventually had an IPO, eventually took Blockbuster down. And Ooh. This and, and wait a minute, I like that. Y'all eventually <laughs> took Blockbuster down? Uh-oh. Well, so, yeah. so, so you guys, I mean, wow. So you're like, you turned us down, now we're going to kick your ass, right? Exactly. And it, yes. it, 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 took, it took, listen, it took 10 years. But That's eventually, okay. yeah. It now, happened. It happened. And so the, the, there's this irony that this company that they could have bought for $50 million is now worth about $250 billion. Woo! Oh, ching, 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 ching. I love it. I love uh, it. So yeah. now I got a question to ask you. Yes, ma'am. What's the most important thing about having a good idea and sticking to it through the journey of the trials and the tribulations, the good, bad, and the ugly? Oh, listen, Vic, uh, I'm going to tell you the opposite. The trick, the key, the one important thing that I've learned is when you have that great idea, you don't stick to it. You oh. are, no, ideas do not count for anything. Ideas are starting point and in, are starting points. And in fact, the worst thing you can do is fall in love with your idea. Now, let me explain just for a second. Listen, I know you've sat in meetings where either you've said or someone else has said, okay, we're gonna brainstorm now. There's no such thing as a bad idea. No way, that is not true. There's a million bad ideas. And in fact, I'm gonna say they're all bad ideas. But 
that's the point is the idea you have is flawed. It's imperfect in some way. You just don't know why or how. And hmm. so the challenge is rather than sitting there and dreaming and thinking about, I need this perfect idea. I need to keep iterating it in my head. You just take the idea and you collide it with the reality and you learn why it wasn't a good idea. And yes. if you're good at it, you go, oh, I've got this new insight. The customer has told me something. And you try a different idea. And you try a different idea. But how do you test that? Like how, because you know, listen, as an actress, like I'm going to tell you something. The worst thing is that when you work with a, sometimes like a writer director, and I'm going to explain that really quickly. The, the writer sometimes doesn't let, or that's to the director, he sometimes doesn't let go of the words. He's gotten so married to the moment that organically he doesn't know what the actor may bring that, you know, makes a scene even more amazing because he didn't write it or they didn't write it. You know what I mean? I so do. what advice can we pass on to our listeners that, like you said, don't hold on to an idea so much. Don't hold on into it. Don't be afraid to hear new things and try new things. What can get a person not to hold on so tight? So the trick that an entrepreneur learns is that it's not coming up with a great idea. It's figuring out how to quickly, cheaply, and easily try your idea, how to strip mm. the idea down to its minimal essence so that you can do it cheaply and quickly and easily. And listen, let's stick with the acting analogy for a minute. Okay. So let's say you get a line, all right? If you just say, okay, there's my line, and you show up the next day to shoot, and you deliver the line, it could fall completely flat. So okay. you probably go home and you go, I think it's cheese. Uh, I think it's cheese. I think it, you try you try to say it about 20 different ways, trying to find the one that resonates. Or think about a comedian. Listen, you you know, listen, I, I was in LA a while ago and I happened to be at a Look Tiny Club and who showed up but Jerry Seinfeld. And it was like, that was like amazing. And I go, what is he doing in this little club? Well, he's trying out new material. He's trying to figure out what jokes work by trying them not by keeping it in his head going, is that funny or not? I need to collide it with real people yes. to see what is funny or not. And then I learn, and I may have to collide 500 jokes before I find the one that actually lands. And starting a business is exactly the same thing, is you have an idea, you figure out how to test that idea, you figure out how to collide it with a real person, and you learn from that. And what you learn almost always is it wasn't a very good idea. What you're hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> you took it all the way back to that idea. Don't hold on to that idea that isn't working. It was a bad idea to start with. But you've got to, you, you, you can't do that in your head. The only mm. way to know it is to try it. The thing that blocks every entrepreneur is this fear of trying something that they're not sure it's going to work. And okay. if, you're, if you're scared if you go, I don't want to try this until I'm sure it's going to work, you're never going to you're start. You're never going to be successful. Yeah, agreed. you're never going to be successful. You never take the first step. That the best entrepreneurs realize there's just no way to know in advance if it's going to work. The only way to find out is to try it. So, okay, that uh, I was you, you kind of answered my next question. So you think that that's kind of like a blind spot for an entrepreneur is that if they keep holding on to something and don't try new ideas. Absolutely right. The, the single biggest flaw that most people have who go, I really would love, listen, listen, I'll back up and everyone has ideas. Every person I've ever met has some idea. Everyone who's taken a shower comes out with an idea. 
And what separates the people who are successful is they start. That mm. so many people have excuses. Oh, I have this great idea, but I've got to graduate. I need a computer yep. science degree. I need yep. to raise money. I need a co-founder. I've heard them all. Whereas the people who end up being successful are the ones who just figure out a way to take that first step. And a lot of the coaching I do is that. I mean, do, do we have time? Can I give a quick example of what I mean? Sure, just sure. starting? You know, we were actually going to go into things we have in common. We're both authors and then your podcast. So let's go. <laughs> I'm going to let you do that. And then I want to hear about your book. And then I want to hear about the podcast. Okay? Well, this is so important. I'm willing to not even talk, to, to not talk as much about my book, and my podcast. How is that for sacrifice? Okay. I'll let you have that. No, I'll talk about my podcast, of course. But okay. listen, this, this is a woman. This will give you an example of what I mean by how to try an idea quickly and cheaply and easily. So she had an idea and it was... Uh, the fancy, well, it was letting p other people borrow each other's clothes. I mean, the fancy word would be peer-to-peer -peer clothing sharing. And because she goes, I got lots of clothes I don't wear. My friends lots of clothes that don't wear. What if there was an app that let us all see what everyone had available and we could rent them from each other? Okay, good idea. Who knows? Probably not. But she was going, <sighs> Mark, she was going, Mark, how do I get started? I need to write it. I need to do an app. I need to raise money. I need to find someone to help me with it. And I go, whoa, 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 you are way ahead of yourself. Right. Let's take the first step. I said, do you have a piece of paper? She goes, yes. I go, do you have a Sharpie? Uh, yes, I have a magic marker. Great. Write in the piece of paper, want to borrow my clothes? Please knock. And then tape that to your dorm room door. And we're going to find out today if your idea is a good one. Because if nobody knocks, you've learned right away that no one cares. That it ain't going to work. All right, but let's try it again. Let's say someone does knock. Well, that's fantastic. Now you're going to find something else out. You're going to find out, are there problems with fit? Are there problems with taste? Let's say those things, someone goes, this is great, and borrows that blouse of yours. Now you're going to find out how you feel when it comes back stained or torn, or that you've got to send it to a dry cleaner. By colliding the idea with reality in this quick, easy way, I mean, just a piece of paper and a piece of tape and a Sharpie, you all of a sudden begin learning whether your idea is a good one or a bad one. You're not waiting, you're not dreaming, you're not keeping your idea safe and comfortable in your head. You're getting it out and colliding it with reality. You're testing your lines, you're testing your jokes, you're testing your idea. So I just, I'm real curious about your, your friend and the clothes thing, because I'm gonna tell you something, just this morning, because you know, us being in, me being in show business, I got to buy the designer clothes and that stuff costs a lot of money. And sometimes <laughs> you're like, wow, I get to wear it once or twice. And then it's like, oh, she wore it again. Where like this Burberry shirt I got on today, you go see me wear that a couple of times because this Burberry shirt wasn't cheap today. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I'm bringing that back to that I discovered with my designer clothes that there's a site that now you can sell them on called The Real Real. Yeah. So I'm just curious with her, where did that lead to with her? Did, did she become successful with it? She did, as a matter of fact. It took a while. Good. It took doing it by hand like that for six months with her mm. taking it down, her doing it with pieces of paper and email. Before, after six months, she goes, I understand this business well enough now that I know what I need to build in my app. I know mm -hmm. why I'd be raising money. I know who I'd be hiring to help me. She didn't know those things six, year, six months earlier. She only knew them by colliding the idea with reality. In the, in the startup world, we go, you're looking for this repeatable, scalable model, 
but it doesn't need to be repeatable or scalable at the beginning. You want to get to the point where if you're, let's say you're pitching for money, to not say, imagine if you will. You want to say, I've been doing this by hand for six months. I'm doing it with on yellow pads, with pens. I'm going out of my mind. But I've learned who my customer is. I know how to acquire them. I know the lifetime mm -hmm. value. I know the repeat rate. I know my churn because I've been running this business using pad and paper. Now I'm ready to scale it. Now I'm ready to make it repeatable and scalable. Now I want to move on to, like I said, the one thing that we have in common is that we're authors. You have a best-selling memoir. Um, that will never work. The birth of Netflix and the amazing life of an idea. Tell us about that. Well, there's two things that I really set out to do when I wrote the book. The first one is I did want to tell some of these amazing stories behind the birth of Netflix. People sometimes think these big companies spring forth fully formed in some magical moment and instantly you have this huge company that's streaming, uh, you know, some amazing show. But no, I wanted people to really see the struggles, how long it takes, the camaraderie. Mm -hmm in mm -hmm. getting a company off the ground. Um, and so part of it was telling those stories. But the bigger reason for actually writing the book was I really wanted to share all those tips and tricks and secrets that I'd learned over 40 years as an entrepreneur. Because I think those are the exact same tips and tricks and secrets that people can use if they have anything they want to try and make happen in their lives. Not just a business, but some idea, some dream, something they want to take from an idea and make it into reality. And the things you do as an entrepreneur are the exact same things that anybody could do to make their objectives happen. Is your book available on audio? It is. And in fact, I got a chance to read it, which was the uh, the coolest experience. Yeah. Oh my God. Was that experience trippy or what? I, it was fantastic. It took me a week to record mine. And I just didn't realize 227 pages, how much talking <laughs> was done on that. But for me, it was awesome because, you know, a lot of people, everybody doesn't like to read. So they say, oh, well, I'm stuck in traffic or doing my commute. I just listen. You're in my, in my head. And so I, I'm glad that with it being on audio, that it is in your voice as well, too. So yeah, you guys it, pick that up, you know. So much more can, emotional too. I mean, there, yeah. I was almost I was almost in the recording studio having like PTSD at some of the really intense moments during the during the uh, during the reading. It's it's I it's, was it's a gripping thing. <laughs> yeah. They took me down memory lane cuz especially like during mine I talked about the passing of my father and but it was beautiful. But you know, that makes it more real for people than just kind of reading it, you know what I mean, for them to hear the emotion in your journey. So, now I want to move on because I'm almost running out of time with you okay, and you've got right, an I'll amazing story. No, it's okay. You're doing good. <laughs> You're doing real good. Um, let's talk about your podcast. So the podcast came out of a different place and it's called, it's mm. also called That Will Never Work. But listen, for 20 years, people have been calling me up and saying, help me with my business, help me with this idea, help me figure out how to get started or to take my idea for the next level. And I spend time on the phone with them, an hour. You know, I do multiple visits. I'll go spend time, I'll sit down with them. And I've been doing that for 20 years. And what's different is about a year ago, I go, people are asking similar questions. I'm gonna start recording these phone calls and so I recorded a bunch of phone calls. And then when someone said, I got a question, I go, that's real similar to something someone else has asked. Listen to this call I did with this other entrepreneur, not knowing what would happen. And mm. three really cool things happened. One that I kind of expected, they went, wow, this was actually really helpful. But the other cool part was they go, 
What I really liked was the fact that I realized I wasn't the only person who had this problem. Because, you know, entrepreneurship is kind of lonely at times. You feel you're yes. struggling with things that no one else is struggling with. Mm. And they could hear other people who were in the exact same place. And then the real shocker was they're going, and I was becoming emotionally invested in this. Like I was listening to this person going, oh, I wonder what Mark's going to think about this. And I wonder where they're going to go. They were little mini, mini stories. And so from that, I go, I really think this might be something that people, this might be a reason why, even though there's, you know, what is there, 2 million podcasts in the world, that there might be room for another one. So this is not me interviewing celebrity entrepreneurs. This is me sitting down with real early stage people who are starting something or yes. trying to turn a side hustle into a real business or taking a real business to the next level. And so is this kind of like for you, kind of like your way of giving back that, you know, here you've been so successful with different companies that you're like, you know what, I want to go and talk to that kid that was in the same place that I was in four decades ago and inspire them and enlighten them. Is that your way of giving back? There's no question that that's what it is. I mean, listen, yeah. when, so many times, you know, Netflix was my sixth company and I've done seven overall. And those things do not happen without lots of people helping. Whoa, people will give you advice, will give you encouragement. You said seven companies? <laughs> yeah, seven companies. Okay, I, you got, look, you can't break out receipts like that and not share it with people. What? Okay, <laughs> we got, come on, let them know. Break out your receipts, Mark. Okay. What seven companies have you started? So obviously Netflix is probably the most well-known because it's- okay. uh, consumer product. The one I did after Netflix was a analytics company called Looker, Two? Okay. Which, uh, which we sold to Google about a year and a half ago. Wow. Uh, uh, the very beginning, I started a mail order company. Then I started two magazines. Then okay. I was set up to three. Then I came out, we did a uh, quality, let's see, we did another mail order company. Then I did a quality, a software company, which did QA software, then Netflix and Looker. I think that's seven. If I keep in track, wow. right? Yeah. So, wow. but again, you, those of you who are watching this video can see that I, by my lack of hair here, I've been doing this for a long time. So, but wait, Vivica, here's here's the critical thing. Okay. Oh my God, I can't even believe you went there with that. <laughs> That's, that's okay. all right. Uh, that's what? all right. That's this successful. Let me tell you something. There's a lot more to life than just having hair. Trust me. But I'm going to oh. let you know, I got the Vivica Fox hair collection and we starting to branch off for the men. So the guys are getting equal opportunity too with the hair, just so you know. I knew that there'd be side benefits to me doing this uh, this, this show with you, Vivica. Okay. Uh, maybe you can, Our you, man maybe units you are flying cut. off the shelf. I'm telling you. You, you can, uh, maybe you can get a little friend here. You can cut a little discount for me. Oh, um, no, of course. Are you kidding me? I, I would I would hook you up for free. So you just let me know if you check it out. Too. But can I tell you something? With a, a man that's as successful as what you are, it it it's not about hair. You've got a beautiful, you've got beautiful energy. You've got a great smile. You got beautiful eyes. I see nothing but happiness <laughs> from you, you know? And, and, and you, you, you seem like it. you're totally happy in the skin you're in and you're giving back and you're inspiring and enlightening others. And to me, that's like more fulfilling than having a full head of hair because somebody can have a full head of hair and get on my nerves and be broke. And so that ain't going <laughs> to work. So <laughs> Absolutely right. So listen, how has your hustle the hustle in you made you the successful entrepreneur that you are today? Uh, I'm incredibly persistent. Uh, 
Like I said, I, all my ideas are bad ones, but I don't stop. In other words, if that doesn't work, I try another one. If that doesn't work, I try another one. I am always thinking about what's the next thing to try. I'm always thinking about what could go wrong and preparing for it. I'm always thinking about what might go right that I can take advantage of. I'm doing uh, way, way more work than I need to because that kind of is, puts me in a position to take advantage of circumstances or be prepared when things don't go my way. That's the hustle just, that's really made a difference. I was just about to ask you too, then what drives you? And you kind of answered that, that you're always trying to figure out what's next. It is. I love solving problems. Uh, my, mm. my, my professional joy is working with early stage companies, starting companies, figuring things out. It's the ultimate puzzle. It is so unbelievably fulfilling to try something no one's tried before and figure out how to make it successful. How can young entrepreneurs avoid blind spots that deter them and make them not work hard and know, hey, it's just part of the journey? Yeah, you got to be in it for the right reasons. Uh, if mm. you're doing this because you want to get rich, I hate to break it to you, it's extremely unlikely. If you're doing it because you're going to be famous, even less likely. If you go, I just like that process of figuring things out, then you'll never be disappointed. Um, you'll always be doing what you want. And listen, that is what success is, is figuring out what am I good at? What do I enjoy doing? And if you can craft a life where you get to do those two things, then the rest of it doesn't matter. That's right. the key. What do you think is an entrepreneur's secret weapon? Uh, focus. Ooh. It is Because listen, when you're in a startup, there's a hundred things that are going wrong. Everything is on fire, but you only have the resources to do a handful of them. And the mistake you can make is say, I've got a hundred things wrong. I'm going to take whatever effort I have and spread it evenly over all 100. And that's not the answer. The answer is to have this skill where you can pick the two or three things that if you get them right, the rest doesn't matter. And then focus everything on those. And they may not be the things that are screaming the loudest or they're burning the hottest, but if you can get pick right and then focus on them and get them right, that's the key. That's the secret weapon. Can I tell you something that you just said too, um, before we said the secret weapon is that you said focus. And I want to add to that, that if you're wanting to get into a business, um, to all of our young entrepreneurs out there, do your homework. You know, like for me, when I started the Vivica Fox hair collection, me and my business partner, we did our homework and we found out that the hair industry is a billion dollar a year franchise and African-American women were a lot of women were spending a lot of their dollars there. But I'm going to tell you something. When I first started the Vivica Fox hair collection now going on a decade, yay, <laughs> I had my haters. I'll never forget that, that I had this one blog that was like, oh my God, her career is over because I was in transition from playing younger roles to now moving into more mature roles, which takes time because my face still looked young. So it took time. So I had to, you know, I was glad that on my team, I had a person that was a good entrepreneur who talked to me about business. And she always said, hey, listen, we've got this thing that's coming your way with a wig line. And I said, well, honey, as much money as I spent on wigs and weaves? Absolutely. <laughs> so. 
they didn't get my vision at first. And of course they put up the worst pictures and everybody was like, ha ha ha. She's selling wigs. Nowadays, child, they wearing their hair all the way down to their ankles. <laughs> uh, they weren't in purple, pink guys are wearing hair, everybody wearing hair. So it was a way of me making basically my haters, my congratulators. And that's something else that you and I have in common because blockbuster was your hater. And <laughs> did they ever congratulate you, Mark? Uh, yes, they did, as a matter of fact. They did. Right. Tell me how they did yeah. real quick, and then we're going to close out. No, I've just bumped into them periodically, and we share the war stories. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, you made your hater a congratulator, you know? Yeah. That leads us perfectly into today's hustle hack. Today's hustle hack is hashtag that will never work. <laughs> Darlings, trust yourself, your dreams, your ideas, because there's not going to be anyone that lifts you up when someone tries to shut the door in your face. You have got to learn in life to keep on knocking on success doors because sooner or later, one of those doors will open up for you. But you have to do the work, darling. We live in a, in a society, as Mark said, want swipe and done. A career is not swipe and done. A career is built. You have to go knock on a lot of different doors. Make your haters, your, your congratulators, trust your ideas and implement them so that you can have new career moves and go into different chapters with your ideas. For those who don't get you, honey, keep it moving. If they don't get you, it's their fault because then one day you'll be able to come back and see them along the line and they'll be like, oh my God, you were so, you know, can you hire me? And you might be like, oh, get in line, you know, or <laughs> not this time. But, um, you know, just know that life is a journey and especially becoming a, and especially becoming a successful entrepreneur. It takes time and just trust your ideas like Mark Randolph did. Mark, tell us where we can find your book. So you can find the book pretty much any place you buy books these days. You can get the podcast any place you get podcasts these days. But if you want to get to all things Mark Randolph, there's a website, which is markrandolph.com. Mark with a C, Randolph with a PH. And from there, you can, you know, whatever you want. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, Mark, you are just a joy. And I want to thank you so much. This has been so good for our listeners today because, you know, for me, it's not always about interviewing celebrities, too, because I, I, I want to inspire people from all different walks of life because I'm a good businesswoman as well, too. And I love that I've been able to go into different journeys and chapters of my career. So thank you so much for being a guest on Hustling with Vivica A. Fox today. <laughs> It was my pleasure. It was everything I hoped it would be. I love it. Darlings, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Miss Vivica Fox, on Instagram at Miss V Fox. I am verified with my official blue check, darlings. Also, follow Stage 29 Podcast, too. So don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen to Hustling with Vivica A. Fox. Until next time, darlings, bye for now. The Hustling with Vivica A. Fox podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during the podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional.